here with another episode of the Unhealthy Podcast, a show that looks at being healthy from a different point of view, where we explore unhealthy habits and lifestyles and transform them into healthier ones. Basically, it's a show for me to look beyond diet and fitness and try to figure out how to get myself back in some good shape here. But of course, the goal is to create a positive change for the better. Now, I should say, if you've been listening to the show, you've heard my story and me getting my belly and trying to get rid of it and tried some things that did not work and looking to find friends and semi-professional people. But none of us here are doctors. We're not providing any medical information here. Things that we talk about should not serve as a diagnosis or a treatment. But I do find people from time to time that I think can really help, and I have done that today. And I should say, let me go ahead and first introduce Kisa Amaro from Losing Your Cravings podcast. Kisa, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. You thank are, you for having me on the show. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And let me explain how we met. So I was participating in a little podcast group where we kind of help each other learn how to podcast better and find and recruit guests and speakers and stuff. And you joined our group kind of at a crossroads. I think you were invited by somebody or you were finishing up a separate group and you came into our group. And as you introduced yourself, I'm like, oh, there's somebody that I could have on my show. However, turns out I had already been listening to your podcast and did not know it. So when you heard that, what did you think? I was very flattered. (laughs) Um, First of all, I was very flattered that you asked me to be on your podcast um, and flattered that you were already listening to it (laughs) or to my podcast. Um, Because I never know. I mean, I know people are listening and I know some of the people who are listening, but there's a lot of people out there. I don't necessarily know who they are. So it's nice to, you know, put a face to who's listening and like, you know, just a random person. (laughs) That's so awesome. Not that you're just random, but, you know, we hadn't met met before. You know, you're not my friend who's listening to my podcast. (laughs) Just some random guy stalking me on the internet, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I was, I've been listening and it's interesting because I actually, I think the very first show I listened to was... Back in January, so we are recording in October, and I'll tell you the show number if you don't have it off the top of your head. It was show number 80, How to Make Your Goals Stick. Okay, yep. And of course, that was something I was thinking about as I was trying to redo this podcast because I actually started this a year ago, and it didn't go quite the way I thought it was going to go. And so as I was looking to kind of re-image it and rebrand it, that's when I came across your show. And one of those things was how to make your goal stick because one of those topics that we always, you know, beat around the bush with is everybody sets goals but doesn't really stick with them. And I'm not just talking like New Year's resolutions. <laughs> it's people like I'm going to lose weight by this such and such a date for a wedding or a reunion or something. And then we're always frustrated that, yeah, it didn't quite work out. Definitely. Yeah. Goals are hard. Yeah. And I think one big, 
I don't say mistake, but misnomer. Like we all do this. I've done this a million times. It's like, we have these, like, I'm going to lose whatever 10 pounds in a week or 20 pounds this month. You know, it's like these almost unrealistic goals, but we think they're doable just because of, you know, maybe diet culture influences, like so-and-so did it. So I'm going to do it. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be around weight loss. It could be around like whatever kind of goal we, we strive for the, like these almost unrealistic goals. So when we are creating our goals, we want to make sure that they are realistic, right? That they, they are doable and realistic and maybe even like chunk it down. So maybe we have this goal of like, yeah, I want to lose 20 pounds, but let's not put an end date on it. Right. And maybe we just focus the first five pounds. Okay. I'm going to focus on losing five pounds. And then after that, it's like, okay, now I'm going to lose five more pounds. Okay. Then I'm going to lose five more pounds. And you're still going to make it to that 20 pounds. Right. But you're making it a little bit more realistic when we, when we chunk things down and break things down. So kind of like what we should be doing in regular life or at our work where, yes, there's an end goal, but what are the steps that you're going to take to actually get there? So is that, yeah, you, you looked up in a way I was like, is that right? No, that's, that's totally right. Um, it's yeah. It's like, okay, I have, maybe I do have a massive goal. Maybe, maybe I want to buy a house, right? Like if you think of like buying a house and like getting a down payment for a house, like that might be like, oh my gosh, how am I going to save $60,000 or $100,000, depending on where you live um, and what you need for a down payment? I'm like, okay, well, let's let's focus on saving that first $10,000. Like, how am I going to save $10,000? Because if I can save $10,000, I can probably save $60,000. You know, if you do like little, like, okay, $10,000 in like three years or two years, say, I want I want to save $10,000 in two years. Like, okay, well, what is that by month? And then, you know, breaking it down to like, okay, what is something manageable I can do like every month? Um, And so, you know, same, same thing with it, with any like nutrition or weight loss or um, exercise goal, we might have this kind of like grand goal of losing a lot of weight. And sometimes, sometimes too, when we look at that, like I've worked with people who've lost 70 pounds. And if, if you like, and they're still losing weight. You know, if you look at that, like, you know, back when you started and you're like, oh, I'm going to lose 70 pounds. That might seem very daunting, right? It's like, this is going to take forever and it's going to be hell. It's going to suck. So what if we just focused on losing that first 10 pounds or that first five pounds? Because usually if you have the strategy to lose five pounds, to lose 10 pounds, and you keep doing that strategy, you're going to lose five more pounds, five more pounds, five more pounds, five more pounds. Nice, simple, repeatable steps. Yes. Yes. And nothing, nothing too extreme, right? We're not going on like a 500 calorie diet or even a thousand calorie diet. What? You mean those things don't work? You know, doing CrossFit twice a day and Unfortunately, no. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, they no, they do not work. Will you lose weight in the short term? Yes. You can totally, like if you want to eat 500 calories a day, you're going to lose some weight. However, it's not sustainable. 
And so if you're looking for healthy habits, sustainable habits, things that you can think about doing for the next six months, year, five years, right, then it has to be these small, doable, sustainable steps. And, you know, 500, 1,000 calorie diet is not going to cut it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how long I would last on a 500 calorie diet, maybe a day. Maybe an hour. <laughs> an hour. <laughs> the way some of our meals are pretty hefty. Yeah, so. yeah, they are. They are. Um, and and so really, if you're looking for longevity, it's those small changes that you make over time. So this is one of the reasons why I think I liked your show because it talked about looking at all of this thing from a healthy perspective and not going crazy with the latest craze. So I did reach out to a friend uh, maybe about 18 months ago, and she tried to help me by suggesting keto Mm. and sent me a whole box of the little keto packets. And I tried one that was kind of like a little coffee creamer. And I'm like, okay, that I could probably do that. And then I tried another as a regular drink and I'm like, yeah, no, I cannot do that at all. And as I researched more and more about keto, I'm like, you know what? That's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And trying to find what works for you may not be what works for somebody else. And that's what, that's what I was kind of looking for on this journey as, okay, how do we find, you know, a way to look at this from a, healthy lifestyle perspective instead of whatever the crash program is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's no one perfect diet, right? If there was one perfect diet, we would all be doing it. We would all be like our ideal weight, whatever. But we all, I mean, we have bio-individuality. We are all different. And so food is going to affect us differently. And whether that be from like, you know, a metabolic standpoint, a digestive standpoint, Um, foods that don't feel good in my body, you might be able to eat just fine. You're like, what's, you know, there's nothing wrong with this food. But for me, if I eat it, I might get, you know, uh, have digestive issues. I might get bloated. Um, So really it's, it's about finding what foods work for you. And also along with that is finding a relationship with food that is working for you as well. And when I talk about relationship with food, it's basically our thoughts around food, our thoughts about food. And oftentimes if we have been on a diet or we're on a diet, we're trying to lose weight, then we usually have these thoughts that like certain foods are bad. I shouldn't be eating them, right? Like like ice cream. I always thought ice cream was bad. Like, oh, ice cream's so bad for you. It's fatty. It's sugary. Like it's cream. Like, I shouldn't be eating this. Like, I want to lose weight. I shouldn't be eating this. And, but then, of course, I loved ice cream. So (laughs) I would restrict it. I would restrict ice cream and I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat it because I thought it was bad for me. But then I would have a, a huge craving for sugar or I would be around ice cream and then I would eat it and then I would feel guilty for it. And so we want to get rid of that. And when, like, that was my relationship with food, that was my relationship with ice cream. Um, and so what we want to do is we want, want to create more of a balanced relationship where like now I don't look at ice cream as a bad food. It's just food. 
And therefore I don't have, it's funny, like since it's not bad, I don't have as deep of a desire for it. And I, I, I kid around, but it's like, you know, you don't tell your 16 year old daughter, don't date that boy because what is she going to want to do? Oh yeah. Yeah. She's going to want to date the boy, right? Negative reinforcement. Yeah. And when you're like, oh, don't eat that ice cream. Don't eat the ice cream. Guess what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to eat the ice cream. But when the ice cream is like just ice cream, it's not bad. It's not anything that you need to feel guilty for eating. It's so interesting and it seems so counterintuitive, but the cravings reduce. I no longer have these intense cravings for ice cream. I can have it in the freezer in the house and I'm not going to overeat it or I'm not going to eat the whole pint or the whole container of ice cream. And, and so it's really creating that healthy relationship or those healthy thoughts around food that create more of a balanced way of eating versus a really restrictive way of eating and then maybe potentially overeating. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to go where I was going to go with that. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's kind of give everybody a little bit more about your background because it's not really about food. That's not your your thing. Even though your show is called Losing Your Cravings, you mm-hmm. actually have a position that I had never heard of before. You okay. are a certified integrative health coach. Mm-hmm. I am. So, of course, the first question is, what does that mean? <laughs> Um, that's a great question. I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and became a certified health coach through them. And it was really the first time because I had always been interested in health and fitness. I was an avid, um, I grew up dancing, actually. I was a dancer. I grew up dancing. And even after I quit dancing, I still enjoyed movement and moving my body. And whether that was running, um, working out in a gym, I've done many things. I've paddled canoes. I've ran marathons. I've been really into hiking. I surf. And so I just really enjoy moving my body. And so I've been into fitness and nutrition. And this, and so I'm like, I'm going to get my certification to be a health coach. Like, this is going to be awesome. And it was the first time that I was introduced to more of a holistic way of looking at health. Like, it's not just about the foods you eat. It's not just about the way you move your body, but it's about the way you manage stress in your life. It's about relationships. It's about your sleep hygiene. Um, it could be about, like, you know, your spirituality um, and the and whatever beliefs you have in that regards. So there's more of this holistic view on health versus it just being food, what I put in my body and how I exercise. Does that answer your question? It does. And it actually, it actually brings into focus a lot of the things that I started to look at, but of course it wasn't in a nice little title like you have, because we, we have heard recently how important things like sleep is quality sleep Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. stress management is a big thing. I know that that's a big thing in my life. Um, you know, and of course you hear about things of, you know, hydration and stuff, but you know, self care has kind of been this thing that I've been, 
I don't want to say researching. I've just been kind of looking at it from afar. So that was another reason why, you know, reaching out to, to people like you, it's like, I, I need to find people that truly understand because watching the YouTube is not working. Yeah. So self-care is, is an interesting topic. And I think like when I ask people like, oh, what do you think? And I'll ask you, like, what does self-care look like to you? And I don't have a great answer. <laughs> I mean, it could look like anything, right? But well, like, what what do you think of as self care? Well, so of course, I grew up. I grew up in sports. Mm-hmm. So self care to me was being in shape as we as it related to, you know, fitness, like you mentioned. Um, you know, being an athlete, being in you know peak condition. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was weird because I didn't have a big focus on nutrition like a lot of the athletes do today. We lived in a time where if you were active enough, you kept the weight off. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, food is completely different now than it was when I grew up. There wasn't as many processed items as there are today. So it was different. So as long as I was active, I stayed skinny. And I, I, I mean, skinny is skinny. Um, but that was my view of, of health. It did not include anything with mental health or, you know, sleep who needed sleep back then. You know, you're mm-hmm. young, you're, right. you're good and stuff like that. There was this, no, there was nothing based on social wellness and there wasn't this emphasis on relationships you know, first of all, with people, let alone relationships with food and friends and all of that stuff, looking at all of those in a healthy manner. So mm-hmm. yeah. how did that answer and come across? No, that's that's a great, like, that's a great answer. And like a lot of times I will ask people what, you know, self-care looks like to them. And it's like, oh, getting a massage or taking a bubble bath or um, getting a pedicure, manicure. And I, I'm usually talking to women too. Um, I noticed you didn't mention pedicure, manicure. So yeah, <laughs> never, never had it, never will. <laughs> <laughs> um, or like going to the gym, right. Taking care of their, like their self physically. Um, and really, and we, we also think that it has to take up a lot of time and that it has to cost money. Like there's like a monetary investment and a time investment in self-care. And really self-care can look like anything. It's something I think of like something that fills your cup, right? You, as you go throughout your day, you're giving energy to other people, whether that to people you work with, your family, your kids, your parents, you're giving energy to other people. And so what are you doing to fill your cup? to maybe spark joy or peace um, or gratitude in your life. And it could be simple as journaling. It could be simple as reading a book on the couch. It could be simple as if you're um, a busy mother, (laughs) locking yourself in a closet or your room and having five minutes of alone time. Um, It could be um, like working on your relationship to food. It could be working on your relationship to your body or to fitness. could be going for a walk. You know, it could be all of those things and those things don't cost any money. And so it's not necessarily just about like the physical body, but also like the mental, emotional, 
um, relationships. If you want to spend time by yourself, great. If you want to spend time with your friends and that fills your cup, then do that. You know, that's all self-care. So it's interesting when I went to go look up what integrative health was, because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I wanted to try to sound, you know, knowledgeable okay. having you on the show here. But it seems as though everywhere I looked, the entire premise is based on what is most important to you, which kind of is open-ended in my mind. But mm-hmm. hearing you describe that, it's it's a little deeper than that because you're saying, well, what's most important to you in terms of being happy? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that as simple as it gets? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't, and it, it doesn't have to be complicated. And I think a lot of times in this realm of health and nutrition and weight loss, we tend to complicate things. Um, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be, you know, like what, what is one thing that will make me happy? That will make me smile. That will make me relax. That will make my, my shoulders, you know, just draw down a little bit and like ease that tension or ease that stress in my life. So, yeah. Okay. Simple. So, so you're a coach and, and I should probably go back and say, yes, your primary focus is women. And actually your podcast, it was funny. I think it was, for some reason I would, I would always miss the beginning. Okay. And I never heard, this is a podcast for women. <laughs> so either I tuned it out or, or what, mm-hmm. um, but you you help coach people in this interactive or integrative health. Mm-hmm. So let me go ahead and at least ask this question just to get that out of the way. But if somebody comes to you for integrative health, what exactly are you helping them do? Yeah, so it would be it, – it depends on their goals. Usually let's – say 75% of people want to lose weight. Now, does everybody need to lose weight who wants to lose weight? Probably not. And so it depends on the person and their experience and, you know, like their dieting history, like what have they tried in the past, their relationship with food, their relationship with their body. And so what I do is I coach them to this place of I call it neutrality. Neutrality around food, neutrality around their body. Um, and so, so really going beyond the nutrition and like, yes, like nutrition is important. There is importance in nutrition and we do get there when I work with clients, we do get there, but the very, the, the beginning part, the first half of working with me, it's shifting the mindset around their body, around nutrition, around food and dieting and what they think they should be looking like. And get this, focusing on what they want, right? Not what society thinks they should be like, not what other people think they should look like, but being and showing up as the person they want to be. Okay. Because a part two to that question was going to be, do you actually focus on the why? Why does somebody want to lose the weight or look a certain way? Is it because of those outside factors, or is it truly something that they want for themselves? 
I would say a majority of the time. Okay. Yes, I do. We focus on the why right away. Right. And majority of the time it comes down to those outside factors influencing them. And when I talk about diet culture, um, I talk about just grow, growing. For me, I grew up in a dance community in the dance environment. And so dieting was always being talked about. Our weight was always being talked about. Um, our size was always being talked about. We were always nitpicking our bodies. Um, and I know everybody goes through and is influenced by diet culture differently, but it is this idea that we should look a certain way. We should fit into a certain size. We should weigh a certain amount or within this number and that number. Um, even like the BMI, like the BMI index, you go to the doctor and you're either like normal, overweight, obese, or morbidly obese. Like even that is, is influenced by diet culture. And so when we take away those influences and we like work through them, talk through them and really like understand like why are those influences there and do I have to listen to them? Do I have to or do I want to like, do I even want to believe this? Do I want to follow and fall into this cookie cutter version of me or do I want to be my own best version of myself? And and usually what it comes down to is people don't necessarily want to lose weight. Like, yes, they think they want to lose weight, but a lot of times they just want to be accepted. They want to be loved. They want to feel confident in their body. And they think that by weighing a certain amount, wearing a certain size will get them that, will get them confidence. Like, I'll be confident when I weigh 150 pounds or 125 pounds. Right. I will go pursue a relationship when I lose the weight. I'll go look for a job or a promotion when I lose the weight. I'll feel more confident. I'll look good on stage when I get rid of my belly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I'll look it on stage when I or I will pursue this when yeah. when I lose the weight. Interesting. So let me ask this. You you mentioned diet culture. Mm-hmm. And and I'll be honest, I don't remember if you had a podcast on this. For some reason, I think you did. But I know that there's been a ton of talk about throwing out the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you have a show on that? And or have you spoken to that? I've I've spoken about diet culture. Um the podcast is what is diet culture. Um and let me see. Um, and then I have also had a guest on my show, Helen Burney, and she talks about throwing out the scale. Okay. Like that's her kind of, um, that's her, I don't know, specialty, like her, what, what do you call it? <laughs> special, we'll just call it specialty. Her hook. She, she, <laughs> her hook. There you go. Her hook. Um, but, but throwing, throwing away the scale and I, I personally, I I've gone back and forth with the scale. Truthfully. Um, I used to weigh myself multiple times a day, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I know. Right. Um, like, yeah, I look back at that and I'm just like, oh my gosh, why did I put myself through that? 
but you know, like getting on it in the morning and then the afternoon and the evening and you know, it's, wow. it's ridiculous. I know, but, but we do it, right. We do it because we want to see the numbers change. And oftentimes we tie our worth to that number on the scale. So if that number's down, we are worthy. We are, um, loved, right? If the number is up, then we're not worthy. We're not loved. Um, now we have a scale in the house. I'll weigh myself periodically. Um, and I, I mean, I've gone through periods of time where I don't, I didn't own a scale, right? I'm just like, why do I need to weigh myself? Um, and sometimes it was because I, I did fear that number on the scale and I didn't want to see what it was. Um, but now I feel like I'm in this place of just as with food, as with my body, my, like this healthy relationship where I get on the scale and that number does not determine my worth. It does not determine who I am. I am still, you know, a, a great coach, no matter how much I weigh. I'm still a great mother. I'm still a great, you know, wife, daughter, all the things, no matter how much I weigh. Um, Interesting. So, by the way, when I was going through my little thing, I would weigh myself once a day in the mornings. Okay. And it was good for a little while, and then it wasn't. And then I said... Why was it not good? So, of course, you're going to ask me a question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just say the best answer I can give is hitting a plateau where the number stops going down. Mm-hmm. So then it's a matter of, okay, what am I doing wrong? So just like you said, that that relationship was askew. So then I thought, you know what? Maybe it's not about the weight. Maybe it's just about the way I look and feel. Because the whole real thing for me, and I've said this you know, at the start of, of my podcast, is it was really more about losing the belly. So then it was like, well, does it really matter how much I weigh as long as I don't have a belly? Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, nah, okay, maybe that's not the right approach. So I haven't, I haven't perfected that approach. I think I shared with you, so my original goal was to lose 10 pounds, mm-hmm. which I did, but I still had a belly. <laughs> okay. So it was like, okay, that was the wrong goal. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the wrong goal. You're you're just on your way to your final goal. Okay. You're just still working on it. That's fine. God's not done with me yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a work in progress. That's okay. Right. There's no, there's no finish line. Right. There's no, no, there's no race, so to speak. There's no like, oh, I have to cross the finish line at X time. Right. Not anymore. Used to be when I was in sports, but that's that's over. I'm retired. <laughs> so no, but you you bring up a great point, and that when when we're on this health journey, and I assume many people who are listening to this may be on a similar journey as you, Uncle Marv, um, that we can look at like yes, you can look at the scale, but I always like to think of that as just like one data point. Like there's so many other ways to show that you're making progress, creating change. Um, and one is like, how do you feel in your body? Like, do you wake up well rested? Do you have energy throughout the day? Um, how is your body moving? How's your digestion? Are you hydrated? 
Like there's, there's so many other ways to tell that you're making progress and that you're creating these healthy habits in your life. Hmm. Well, I had already asked you before this show started if you would be willing to come back because I'd like to tackle those things and just didn't think we could get through them all in one show. Mm, so yeah. now that we've Love. now that we've gotten through a big portion of this, are you are you still happy you said yes? Yes, I would love to. <laughs> of course. I'd love to talk about uh, anything. Well, all right. almost anything. Almost. <laughs> we already discussed that. We did. <laughs> So, so let me ask this and just to get more of a feel for who you are in your background. So we didn't talk about you being a dancer and we talked about sports and you're not a big sports person, although you, you danced and hiked and canoed. And I mean, that's all activity based stuff. But when I was looking up your history and stuff, you were a teacher. I was. I was so, a teacher. How did you go from dancing to – because you, you you weren't a teacher of dance. Mm, I did teach dance. Oh, you did? Um, I did for a short time. I oh. wasn't – it wasn't anything it's, – it's hard to make a career out of teaching dance unless – you own a dance studio, you know, I think that would be the way I just, I just taught at a studio. Um, and actually I, I currently a yoga instructor or yoga teacher now. So I do teach yoga. Um, but I was a dance teacher for a little bit. Um, but I did, I was a teacher, teacher, um, a teacher, 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 I guess, education, (laughs) education. I, I taught elementary education. Um, and so I taught a variety of, you know, first grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, um, and really teaching was what sparked and motivated me to pursue health coaching. Okay. Uh, that's so how I was going to ask. How did that transition happen? Yeah. So I was getting very overwhelmed as a teacher. Um, I felt, and this was, you know, my own personal experience at the school I was teaching at, I felt very, um, very overwhelmed and that there was more and more responsibilities and things put on my plate every year. Um, and that there, there were some, some rough conditions, the school that I was teaching, there were some rough conditions and I was getting overwhelmed and being one to be focused on health and nutrition, you know, I'm just like, Hmm, what could my next career be? Like, like I could see that teaching was not going to be sustainable for me. Mm. Like, you know, like there's things I loved about it. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, but I could see that it was not going to be the career for the rest of my life. And, um, I was starting to look at other things and my, a good friend of mine, she was like, you should be a health coach. Like she was like one of my best friends from like, we've known each other since, since babies, um, we were babies. Um, and she's like, you should be a health coach. So I started looking into it and then I found the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and decided to do, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I was still teaching as, as I was getting my certification. Um, and it, you know, it just came to a point where I was overstressed, like, like looking back on it now, now that I know all the stuff I know now, looking back on it, I'm like, my nervous system was just on overload. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. I was just take, and I was just taking it all on. Right. I didn't have a way to 
work through that stress, to work through that, that overwhelm. I didn't have those coping mechanisms. And, um, and so, yeah, I made the leap. I made the transition from teaching to health coaching, which there are a lot of similarities. Like I still, I still feel like I am teaching in a way I'm just teaching a different, um, subject matter and I'm teaching different people, right? I'm not teaching kids anymore. I'm teaching mostly adults. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't look back. I'll just say that. Okay. All right. So let's see, you're coming up on 10 years almost with doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now that you say it, yes. <laughs> like when I first started, yes. <laughs> um, how have things changed, I guess, from the time you started until now? Mm-hmm. So much. Um, when I first started, I, of course, I was still focused on the food. Like, yes, I knew that stress, like we need to manage our stress. We need to talk about sleep. We need to, you know, have this holistic, well-rounded, you know, healthy way of being. However, I was still focused on food to fix cravings, to fix overeating, right? Like for me, it was like, okay, we need to make sure we're, we're moving in ways that are, are right for us and eating the foods that, you know, feel good in our body. And, um, we're eating enough. Like, like I got that right. But I was still struggling with cravings and overeating. Like I, I knew how to make it a healthy meal. I had no problem with that. And I know had no problem with sharing that with other people and helping them to incorporate healthier meals into their life. However, I was still struggling with sugar cravings and whether it was like ice cream that I would be eating, or if it was like, you know, I, I think of like apples and almond butter. Like we don't, we think of that as like, a, like a healthy snack, right? Yeah. Apples and almond butter, but I could eat like a lot of almond butter in one sitting, you know, it wasn't like, okay, two tablespoons or three tablespoons of almond butter, like the serving size. It was like, a quarter cup of like almond butter. Out of a yeah. like out of a peanut butter jar type of thing? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you're supposed to spread it over a apple slice or a cracker or something like right, that. Right, right. No, I would just take the apple slice and I would dip it in the jar. Oh. As right. you're watching you a can movie. Get a lot. You can get a lot on that apple slice. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I was watching TV. Maybe I wasn't. Like it didn't <laughs> matter. Like, I was. I was going to eat this anyways. Um. So, so I really had to like take a look at like what is really going on here. Like there, it has to be more than just food. Like yes, food I I think is so important, and we need to create healthy habits around food. But we also need to create a healthy relationship around food. And so I started looking at my thoughts around food and my cravings. Um, I started looking at emotional eating and studying emotional eating and realized that I was an emotional eater. I had no clue. Like, and, and a lot of people are emotional eaters and they don't realize it when we eat when we're stressed, we eat when we're bored, right? That's a, a type of emotional eating. We eat when we're lonely. It's well, not I necessary. Say, I was going to say okay. most of the what is it? The movie stereotype is the broken hearted person at home, you know, curled up on the couch and eating because, you know, they got, they, they had a breakup and life is horrible. 
Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just that. Like, yeah, that's what we think of like emotional eating. We're like, oh, my boyfriend broke up with me or my girlfriend or whatever. And so now I'm like at home by myself eating a pint of ice cream and crying and, you know, myself to sleep or something like that's what we think of as emotional eating. But emotional eating can show up like every day. Like it can show up when we're bored. It can show up when we're stressed. It's not it doesn't have to be these big, huge events in our life that we emotionally eat. Um, so, and so, so having an, a, a career in IT mm-hmm. that is a sometimes a stressful job and snacking while you work is probably mm-hmm. an emotional eating thing, right? Most likely, yes. <laughs> okay. Most likely. And I mean, there, there's other factors that could go into that. It's like, okay, are you, are you eating regular meals? Like, do you incorporate regular meals into your day? Or is it like, oh, I don't eat and then I'm hungry and so I'm like snacking while I eat. Um, But usually if we're a lot of times we procrastinate or we want to, we're bored at work and we want to make it entertaining. And so we eat food, we snack along the way or we get a coffee or a soda or something to kind of like get us through the afternoon because it's kind of boring and or stressful, right? Um, I've, I definitely noticed myself like, I, I used to do this a lot more. I don't do any more um, as much anymore, I should say. Um, but just like even like working on a podcast, right? I'm like working on a podcast and I'm like brainstorming and like thinking of like, what am I going to talk about? And like, I just am like blocked. My first instinct is like, go get a snack, right? <laughs> well, yeah, you got to get really, up and refocus. And what better way to refocus than a drink and a yeah, snack? Yeah. And really what I need is just to, yeah, maybe it's like go out for a walk, go like walk around the house or go like see, get a change of scenery. Like I just need to like, you know, shift things up or switch things up. Um, And so I need to like, you know, I have to stop myself in that moment. I, you know, I stop myself and ask like, okay, am I physically hungry? Mm. Like, is there physical hunger in my stomach right now? And usually... 99.99% 99.99% of the time, no, there's no physical hunger in my stomach. It's purely like I'm bored or like I'm struggling with this. I want to procrastinate. I want entertainment. I want something to make it easier. And food is what I go to, right? And that's that's a type of emotional eating. So I just had a weird little thought that it's not just emotional, but eating has become so convenient now. So I'm going to guess I'm a little older than you. And when I was growing up, snacking wasn't a big thing. You know, you had your three meals and you maybe had a snack. You certainly didn't eat before going to bed. Mm -hmm. And the meals weren't as plentiful. Is that right word? Meaning you didn't have seconds as much. Um. Eating today is it's, it's almost a sport to some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I can I can remember going to my grandparents' house, and they they lived in a small town in Montana, and <clears throat> they served three meals a day, and that was it: breakfast, dinner, and supper. And they were at the same time every single day, and it was like a very well-rounded meal, um, but it was nothing of excess. And there were no snacks given in between 
any of the meals, right? That was that was it. Right. And like, you know, I talked to my dad. I'm like, is this how it was? And he's like, yeah, this is how it was. And I like, I joke around. I'll be like, so you didn't have mac and cheese when you were little? He's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. Like they didn't have any of that, right? Um, so yeah, food has definitely changed over the years. And and even like from when I was little to like what I have now, like I just remember what I had available when I was younger eating. And then I go to the store and I like what I what is available and like what I have to choose from for my daughter. It's just like, oh my goodness, you know? And and yeah, like it's there it, there's so much going on there because you could go into the like this, you know, primitive brain and these pr- primitive signals that we have as humans to desire food. Like we have an innate desire for food, especially food that is high in sugar, high in fat, and high in salt. Because those foods will keep you alive. Right? And so yep. Back in the day when we had to work to get our food, whether that is we had to go out and hunt and gather, or even if we had a farm and we had to grow our own food, we had to put a lot of work into it. And so we needed this desire to have food, to create food, to get food. Now we have that same connection, that same desire for food. However, our food environment has changed exponentially. We have... I mean, you can, I've, I've had this, a client has um, Uber Eats, a Snickers bar to our house, Get right? Out. Like, like that's like, but that's, you know, how much access we have to just whatever we want, right? We can go to a convenience store and get any kind of candy bar or chips or, you know, Doritos, whatever, soda, sugar sweetened beverages. Yeah. I was going to make a comment earlier that as I was driving home from a weekend project to get gas, walking into the store, there's just aisles and aisles of honey buns and donuts and cookies mm-hmm. and chips and 20-ounce bottles and 40-ounce bottles. and That just wasn't around when we were growing up. But um, mm-hmm. it, it is uh, absolutely amazing. How, mm-hmm. how things have changed. Oh, yes. And it's so, it's just we're inundated with these foods. And it's almost like we have to have this knowledge and like this ability <laughs> to say no to these foods, right? And I always think like having like having the knowledge about the food and how it affects your body, like molecularly, you know, biologically, like what's going on is helpful to say no to foods. Like when I understand if I were to drink a bottle of Coke, like a, I don't know, what is it? 32 ounce bottle of Coke. The big gulp. The big (laughs) gulp, right? What would be going on in my body? Like that deters me from drinking it. Like, Mm. and, and two, like, I don't, I don't like the way I feel after I have a lot of sugar. Um, and therefore that deters me from, from, um, choosing like a big gulp, or choosing really sugary, sugary foods. Um, so it, it takes, I'll just say it takes a conscious effort, it takes a conscious effort to like choose foods that are supporting you and your goals and what you want. Well, that's why you are the certified integrative health coach. 
And I'll take this opportunity now to tell people your website, kisaamaro.com, and I'll have the link in the show notes or in your podcast player so that you can go there. Literally right on your front page there, it says, Transform Your Body and Food Mindset. And I, you have mentioned the word mindset many times throughout the show tonight. I know that when people go and look at your background, you are considered a mindset coach. Mm-hmm. So all of that plays right into what we're talking about. And of course, we spent way too much time talking about food, but that's what our society is focused on. You mentioned it was about 75% of people that come and are looking at weight loss. I'd like to... Yeah, I would say I would say about 75%. Like people, they, they, they're like, yeah, I want to lose weight. There are some people who are like, no, they're like oh, I just have a really bad relationship with food or I struggle with cravings. Like I don't really need to lose weight, but I really want to feel in control around food or I don't want to feel triggered by foods. Um, but I would say most most people are coming to lose weight for sure. All right. So I'd like for us in future episodes to focus on some of that other 25% and uh, the, yeah. mindset asp- the mindset aspect, the stress uh, we talked about uh my stressful life. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll do that. And I also want to let people know. So we did not plan this appropriately because I'm only recording a day ahead of a virtual workshop that you're doing. And you mentioned emotional eating earlier. You have a Mm -hmm. virtual workshop on October 17th called Am I an Emotional Eater? Correct. So uh, if you're listening to this show, uh, either very late on the night before or the day of, it is at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. But if you hear this after that, you can still go and Kisa will provide a replay of that virtual Mm -hmm. workshop. So we should have we should have planned this better. That's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm still working on the whole planning and getting everything, you know, organized, um, myself. Um, but yeah, we're, um, I'm hosting a workshop to help you figure out if you are an emotional eater, because I know for me, I, you know, I explained earlier that I didn't know I was an emotional eater. And really like, once we figure that out, like, it's not a bad thing. First of all, like, it's not taboo. Like if you know, like why you're overeating, why you crave food, then we can fix it, right? We can work on problem solving and we can get to a solution. Um, So that's what the workshop is for, to help you figure out if you are an emotional eater. If not, awesome. If you are, totally awesome too. And then I'll share with you what you can do to help support you moving forward. So people can just go to the website and sign up there. Now, is it is it wrong of me to ask how long ago you realized you were a emotional eater? Um, no, it's not wrong of you. Um, <laughs> is it appropriate? It's no, it's totally fine. Um, I would say maybe about seven years ago. Okay, seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. It All was right. just through that that process of you know figuring out like what is it like if. If eating a really clean, healthy diet is not gotten rid of my cravings and I still crave these foods and it's not willpower. Like I have really good willpower. I have really good discipline. 
Like that's not it. So what is it? Okay. So I keep trying to end off the show, but I (laughs) keep having (laughs) questions pop up. So here's, here's the question that just popped up. So that happened seven years ago, obviously after the time that you went through the training and got your certification, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. many things have you learned about yourself uh, going through this process when you are supposed to be teaching others, but you're actually still teaching yourself as well? So much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's the thing is that coaches have coaches. Okay. So just because just because we coach doesn't mean we know everything. I'm not out here to claim that I know everything. I know a lot about cravings. I know a lot about emotional eating. Um, did I always know that? No. When I first started out, like I knew a lot about clean eating. I knew a lot about like how many meals you should have a day. I knew a lot about, you know, what foods you should eat, what foods you shouldn't eat you know, foods that help with your digestion. Like I knew a lot about that. I knew a lot about activity and and movement and, and stress management. However, going through this process, it was almost like this layered process of, I'll say not that it was thrust into me, but I was always curious about cravings. Like I was I knew I had cravings, right? I knew that was a piece of the puzzle. Um, But it was when my daughter was born at that point, I'm like, I need to figure this shit out, right? I need to figure this out because I don't want her growing up and watching me struggle with my relationship with food because I know that would just like, she would learn from me, right? I don't want her seeing me like eating out of, out of a thing of ice cream because I'm stressed or (laughs) frustrated or bored, you know, like I want, I want to show her what a healthy relationship with food looks like. Um, And so that was really the catalyst for figuring that out and getting a coach and working through that and learning from her. And yeah, that's, you know, I'm always learning, I guess, like as a coach, you know, I'm always learning. So. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. And hope that uh, I don't scare you too much for the next time we do this. No, this is wonderful. All right. So again, Kisa Amaro, kisaamaro.com is the website along with the Losing Your Cravings podcast, a podcast designed for women but hijacked by men (laughs) or me or me. should say anybody anybody can listen to it like it does not matter i do talk about like being a mom sometimes um but i think most of it is you know anybody could take the information and run with it so um, well it's it's all universal stuff most of it i mean you know i'm getting stuff out of it when you talk about the sleep and the scale and the cutting back on your cravings i mean that's that's Mm -hmm. just human yeah Yeah, exactly. Perfect. All right. Well, Kisa, thank you again, and we'll have you back soon and uh, dive into some of the other areas of having a healthy mindset. And this all all falls right in line with uh, the things I feel I need to learn. So hopefully you'll help me. Of course. Well, thank you so much, Uncle Mar, for having me on the show. And I can't wait to be back to share more and to answer more of your questions. Yay. And we'll probably get some from listeners who'll be like, dude, you should have asked that. So, <laughs> we'll get yeah, that. Ask away. 
Uh, folks, thank you very much for tuning in to Untermar's Unhealthy Podcast. And as I mentioned, we're basically exploring the not-so-pretty world of unhealthy habits and lifestyles, transforming them into healthy ones. So remember, small changes can make a big difference in your overall health. So take care of yourself and prioritize. We'll be back with another episode soon. And until then, live happy and be healthy.